When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When I approach any translation I first try to think why I'm doing this first. Wherever the viewer or the reader is, I kind of want them to be able to enjoy it as much as the Korean viewers would. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, June Thomas. And I'm your other host, Karen Han. Karen, it is so wonderful to see you again. (laughs) But I have to ask, whose voice did we hear at the top of the show? So for this week's episode, I talked to Hannah Im and Justine Wan, who are the subtitle translators for SBS Animal Farm. And what is SBS Animal Farm? So SBS is a Korean network, and SBS Animal Farm in particular is a TV show, but I'm most familiar with them because of their pretty prolific YouTube channel. It's just chock full of videos about cute animals in situations as simple as like, here's what a baby ferret looks like. And here's what it's like to raise this pet to, oh, look, there's this dog was abandoned on the street. And this is what happened to them to some more serious cases. So the videos really run the gamut in terms of mood and content. But the consistent thing is they're always about animals. And what really impressed me and what why I wanted to talk to Hannah and Justine is that the subtitles are really kind of smartly and cutely translated. Like they are something that I notice every time that I watch their videos. And having watched, well, you can never watch just one. It's impossible. Yeah. It's like eating a Pringle. <laughs> having watched multiple videos on this channel, there's also an incredible cuteness too. I mean, like, it's not only cuteness, you kind of uh, Mm -hmm. alluded to that, but just the animals are kind of talking, like that's the vibe that is going, and then they're translating what the animals would say. So it's kind of has an otherworldly quality. It's it's kind of 10 steps beyond cuteness, I would say. Yeah, exactly. And it avoids, I think, kind of being too saccharine to a degree because like, yeah. it's not like the animals are given voices or they're yeah. going like, well, yeah. I'm a little cat like on the video. No. It's just it's conveyed solely through these captions, yeah. like what's yeah. going on and what these animals are feeling. 
Yeah. All right. I believed you asked Hannah and Justine a question that is intended exclusively for Slate Plus members. What will they hear? Yeah. So for Slate Plus, I talked to Hannah and Justine a little bit more about their workflow. I asked them if they ever watched their videos back. And we talked a little bit about when they did, why they decided to stop and kind of what the reasoning behind that was. Mm. That sounds amazing. If you're a Slate Plus member, you'll get to hear that at the end of the show. If for some unfathomable reason you are not yet a member of Slate Plus, why not sign up today? You'll get extra segments on shows like The Culture Gab Fest and The Waves. A few shows like One Year and Big Mood, Little Mood produce entire episodes just for Slate Plus members. And you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. Particularly important to us, you'll also support the work we do here on Working. To learn more, go to slate.com slash working plus. All right, now let's listen to Karen's conversation with Hannah Yim and Justine Wan. Hello, Hannah and Justine. Thank you so much for coming on to Working. Hi, um, thank you for having us. So I, I guess I wanted to start with a kind of macro question, which is how early in the overall process do you, as translators, become involved with video? So actually, we have a team with producers, editors, us translators, um, one operator, and the CG team. Mm. Um, first, so um, the producer, whoever is responsible for like a a video that's being produced and a responsible editor will get together, um, come up with a storyline and then they write the script in Korean. Mm -hmm. And then when they give us the script over with a text file and like maybe stills, that's when we come into the process and uh, get involved. Mm -hmm. And so what does your typical workflow look like, I guess? Is it that kind of two steps where you have the first kind of main chunk of Korean text that you translate and then revisions? Or how simple can it be versus how involved can it be? So to add to your first question, we don't actually participate in writing the whole script. We right. don't give any ideas in script because the writers are in charge of mm-hmm. uh, writing a script. So after the video is completed, we do the, the time coding. Mm-hmm. of the video mm-hmm. um, to upload uh, before we upload it yeah. on YouTube. So we're actually the ones syncing the subtitles mm-hmm. to the video. Wow. Too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an involved process. And I also, one of the things that I sort of appreciate about um, the English subtitles that you guys do is like, I know sometimes you'll put slashes or I, I don't know what the more technical term for it is in subtitles to kind of reflect the way that the sentence structure is a little bit different in Korean, where like some things will come first or like a part of the sentence will come out first in Korean. But just because of the way the subtitles are in YouTube, like the whole English sentence will come out and have that little division within it to sort of denote that. Has that sort of always been the case? Or like, what was the thinking behind um, that notation? Actually, so when I first, because I came in a little earlier than Justine, Mm -hmm. um, when I started, they recommended us or like they advised us to um, translate whatever is like the Korean, like just straight down. Yeah. But I kind of figured, you know, like it's really hard um, to translate like the exact thing because like you said, the structure is like totally different. Yeah. So I figured like, you know, if you're, you know, in 
English speaking、um, viewer, you wouldn't really mind like waiting for like an actual like. Good grammar, yeah.、Um, <laughs> sentence, right? So I kind of figured like it doesn't really have to like be super in line with the Korean subtitles. So I think I kind of started just、um, translating it,、uh, not like for word verbatim or like just as like the Korean says, but just you know like so it ma- makes better sense in English when you read or watch the video. Yeah. So, is there an actual like kind of set style guide or notes that you guys try to keep in mind? And how much of a hand did I guess each of you respectively have in it? And what was that process like? Well, actually, so when we first came in, we the previous translators had like a set of like different、um, guides,、mm-hmm. but you know, like not everything's always you know like for example, if it's like haha or something, it's not、yeah. always going to be like lol. Like、right. it has like different tones, so we just kind of like、um, took ownership over like how we're gonna translate each like slang or like、uh, what's it called like sound effects,、mm-hmm. um, and we didn't really have like a guideline, but it seems like we you know like we kind of think alike, I guess. <laughs> so they look similar, but if you actually、um, watch it carefully, then you can see actually like. We have different styles of、mm. translating things.、Mm, we have a little bit different, but、yeah. because our content itself doesn't really vary, because、right. our our contents are very、right. cute and bubbly, lovely,、yeah. and then, like cute animals are in it, so、uh-huh. our tone kind of stays consistently. Yeah, yeah, that helps too. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated by what you said about being able to tell the difference between, like, I guess who worked on which video. How would you guys yourself characterize the difference between you guys? It kind of depends on like what English you've learned and spoke.、Mm-hmm. So for me, I、uh, my family immigrated to California、mm-hmm. when I was like ten. So growing up in Cali, I kind of like have Cali style of English, I guess. <laughs>、um, I use a lot of California slangs, and I try to.、Um, Pay more attention to the details, whereas、um, for Justine, for example, I know she studied in England. She studied law, I think. So when it comes to like legal matters or、um, like political stuff, she I think she's a bit more professional or she's more organized in those senses. And yeah, and just a little bit like differences in、um, spellings. Like、oh, yeah, spelling yeah. differences. That's true. To Z. Yeah, and it、yeah. also comes、oh. with the different, like, different previous experiences as、mm-hmm. well. Because before,、yeah. or currently, I, I translate some legal documents as,、mm-hmm. as a side, and then when I'm translating legal documents, I cannot leave any data behind, and I have、yeah. to translate bits and blobs, like every bits and blobs. Whereas when you're translating a video, you can kind of you have to decide what to leave and what to drop. Because、yeah. you have to make it really simple and、mm-hmm. um, short because、yeah. of the time curved because of the sync.、Um, so that's also what makes difference between our translation styles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to ask another process question, obviously there are two of you doing translation for the channel. Do you work on? It, it sounds like you work on videos independently, and you wouldn't work on one video together. Is that right? Right.、Mm-hmm. How long does it take you on average to finish working on a video? And are you are you working on multiple ones at the same time, or is it a matter of like finishing one, moving on to the next? So we have like constant requests coming in. Like we、mm. have requests coming in constantly,、um, and we generally rotate、um, the script or like the videos that we work on.、Mm-hmm. 
but the videos they vary from like it vary in like time and like yeah. different tones like there are some of the videos are very serious like it's about like animal abuse or like legal yeah. issues uh, whereas like some things are very cute like itsy bitsy kind of thing and so for like light toned or uh like a short one it takes about like 30 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. um whereas like the really heavy legal stuff like legal videos they take they can take up to two hours oh wow yeah and this is maybe a bit of a simplistic question but what do each of you find to be the most difficult thing about translating from korean to english so for me, it's to translate Korean memes or Korean jokes yeah. into it. Yeah, because especially because it's a YouTube channel, it kind of has a lot of Korean jokes that, <laughs> you know, online. And then the, the, the hard bit is one, I'm not sure if I can convey the exact meaning of this joke right. in, in English, but two, also I feel like the English viewers didn't really understand why this meme is coming in mm-hmm. to the scene. Mm-hmm. Because it's more like, like a Korean thing. Yeah, Sometimes. yeah. I kind of have to know the culture mm-hmm. or like the famous um, Korean shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, um, because it's been only like three years since I've been in Korea, mm-hmm. and at first when I came here, even though I spoke very fluent Korean in America, I couldn't understand like what the cafe um, worker was telling, mm-hmm. like asking me at first. So I had to relearn Korean really fast working here. Um, So like now I'm super fluent, but sometimes uh, when they have like like idioms or like the four character idioms or like old sayings, oh man, like that really throws me off. And I have to ask the producer like, oh, what does this mean? Like, I actually don't get it. Or um, sometimes they take the character, like four character idioms and tweak it into like dog or cat idioms. So that really throws me off again. (laughs) Um, But on top of that, we have to try to figure out like if there are any similar old sayings or idioms in English. So if they do, yeah, that's perfect for us. But like... If they mm-hmm. don't, then I have to make up something. Yeah. I, I will say, whenever I watch variety shows, the games where they do the four-character idioms are the ones mm-hmm. where I was like, I can't. I, yeah. I will never be able to get this. <laughs> so yeah. You're not the only one. I'm <laughs> there. Yeah, because sometimes the translation gets really long because you want to yeah. explain yeah. what the, right. the, the, yeah, the meaning of it. Yeah, but for them, it's like four characters. I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> And just really quickly, for the sake of our listeners who aren't familiar with what we're talking about when we say uh, four-character idioms, would you be able to quickly explain what those are? So some of the Koreans here, um, they have the origin of Chinese characters. Um, So each character means a Chinese character. And when they're put together, usually uh, um, there are four characters, they mean an old saying or they um, represent an idiom. So I don't know if it's an actual legit um, Chinese uh, the four character idioms, but there's like an idiom saying pom sing pom sa. So each I think pom isn't, but like something. Pom <laughs> sing uh, pom means a shape. Yeah, like so. sh- shape. You sh- live in this shape. You die in this die shape. in the, mm-hmm. this shape. But yeah. it kind of basically means like YOLO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, or like, F it, kind of. So, mm-hmm. it's like, 
long sentence condensed into four characters, mm-hmm. basically. Justine, what you brought up was something that I thought about asking as well, because there are sometimes uh, images on the screen of like screen caps or sound bites from very popular Korean shows that pop up. But those generally kind of just come and go where I, and I assume it was because like trying to contextualize and explain it would take too long or not really be worth the effort. So what I try to do is I try to I try to find if the script a quote like a, like a K-pop lyrics or mm-hmm. a popular lines from a variety show, then I kind of just translate it exactly. Okay, so for like K-pop lyrics, we actually go uh-huh. l- search up K-pop lyrics like in English. So, you know, like just to give uh-huh. like the same exact uh, mm-hmm. message. But if it's from like variety shows, uh, we tend to try to like give the exact same message but you know like english speaking viewers might Mm -hmm. not get the actual joke yeah so we actually sometimes we don't translate it verbatim but Mm -hmm. we kind of make our own joke or kind Mm -hmm. of turn it into a joke that makes sense Mm -hmm. in the in that particular situation Mm -hmm. which also makes sense in english yeah so it doesn't ruin the story yeah and stays Mm -hmm. that's really hard to yeah yeah (laughs) And I wanted to talk about some other Koreanisms, I guess, as well. Uh, Hannah, you mentioned like the the challenge of translating what's basically a sound effect, like when you have kukuku or like hee, uh-huh. like which is just meant to express a sound, and then having to romanize that. What is what is uh, that process like? So usually, like kukuku, we I think we both mm. kind of like try to put lol mm. unless it's kind of like kuk, which is like one like, right ha, kind yeah. of like. Condescending, yeah, 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 scoffing. (laughs) And for like me, when it's like hing, I try to be a little cute. So I do like Mm boohoo or like sad. (laughs) Um, And when it's like hudarda, it's like the ha hu du du or whatever. Then I try to translate it to my gosh. Mm -hmm. But um, I've seen Justine do it a little differently. Mm. But I like hers too because. I'm sure she has more Korean um, knowledge than I do. Oh, actually, I, I actually copy Boohoo from her. So. Oh, okay. Well, then it's a mutual, yeah. mutual because, relationship. Because, because her translation is really, really cute. It's very like baby talk. And then yeah. I, li- I like it. So I, I try to copy her translation sometimes because mm-hmm. I, I like it. I think we refer both of... I think so. Yeah. yeah. Both of our... I love that though. Especially yeah. like because of the fact that you work on videos relatively separately, the fact that you still are working with each other in that respect is really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I I wanted to ask about a couple of other, I guess, kind of cute translations as well. For instance, like, did you call meh for like or like shogun for like shionta? And the like, the cutification of phrases, I Mm -hmm. guess. Um, how, how do you decide like when you want to do that? Because sometimes it is inherent in the Korean slang version of it, but sometimes it is like, for instance, just saying like doggo for dog or like food as an F-E-W-D or things like that, even if the Korean text doesn't contain that kind of informal term. How do you decide like what you want to be cute in that way? Mainly, I think we try to adhere to what the tone of the video is itself, because mm-hmm. sometimes the producer may not have like cute Korean words, mm-hmm. but 
if we're translating and we kind of see that the general tone of the video is very cute or it's like about like a puppy being the uh, main character or whatever, then we try to make it as cute as possible <laughs> and come up with like new lingos for um, these puppies or cat or kittens, whatever. So I think it's really just up to us, like how we okay. um, uh-huh. perceive the video. That's true. We'll be back with more of Karen's conversation with Hannah Yim and Justine Wan after this. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Listeners, I hope you've been enjoying Working Overtime, the bi-weekly bonus version of Working focused on listener questions, which you can catch every other Thursday in our feed. We love to give advice and we want to answer your questions, respond to your concerns and generally share ideas on that show. So is there a creative problem you're having or a creative practice that's working very well for you right now that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, drop us a line at working at slate.com or even better, call us and leave a voicemail at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to Karen's conversation with Hannah Yim and Justine Wan. It's so interesting to hear about the difference, I guess, between translating for something like this versus like legal documents or really anything else. How do you, I guess, approach any given translation job? Because like, I feel like a lot of people tend to just think of it as like point A to point B, just like translate it literally from one thing to the other. But like, there's so much more involved with that. And there's so much more that you have to think about in the work that you're doing. So how would you guys say you approach any given assignment for translating? Before working here, I've worked at an artist agency, like a K-pop artist agency. Mm -hmm. And there I had to um, translate a lot of the interviews, like verbal or Mm. um, written interviews. And for verbal interviews, I had to first listen to the Korean audio come up with a Korean script or a preview and then translate that preview into English. But Mm -hmm. for that work, I had to be really careful because depending on what words I use, like specific words I use, it can, it really affects the artist's like image or what the artist is trying to convey or like deliver. Um, So it was like a very delicate work. But like for SVS Animal, I think the approach is just, you know, like you get the script and then you translate and then give the revisions. Yeah. Pretty straightforward, I'd say. Because yeah. when you're, tra- obviously before translating, you have to consider many aspects, like mm-hmm. the viewers mm-hmm. in terms of videos, so the viewers and the, and the purpose and the function of the video and then how it should be conveyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for SVS Animal videos, it's a bit more, it's simpler. So 
I think what we consider the most is to make the translation more like easy to read. Mm-hmm. So it's not too long, so you don't miss out any details, mm-hmm. or or not to ruin the storyline. Yeah, uh, and keeping the jokes within yeah. the line. That's that's what I consider when yeah. I'm translating. I think um, for me, when I approach any translation assignment. Um, I first try to think why I'm doing this first. Mm-hmm. Like, what motivates me to like wanting to translate this well? I guess. Mm-hmm. So, wherever the viewer or the reader is, I kind of want them to be able to enjoy it as much as the Korean viewers or readers mm-hmm. would. So that's like one of the approaches that we have. Um, In like how we approach it, like personally, and um, of course, like in terms of like profession, we kind of have to like approach it um, according to how they want us to translate it. That's fascinating. I love hearing you guys talk about this because there is s- such a kind of level of mental gymnastics that's involved with with doing translation. Um, and with that in mind, something that we talk about a lot on this show is the idea of writer's block. Um, or creative block in general. And I was curious, what does that look like for you guys in your line of work? Or do you not tend to experience such kind of block? So obviously we want to translate it in a very creative and in a very witty way. Mm -hmm. But our process is, it doesn't really allow any time to think, like come up with brilliant ideas because we have to give the translation as soon as possible. So we often we're asked to complete our translation within two or two and a half hours. Mm. And so the CG team can work on, uh, start their work with our gotcha. translation. Yeah. So we don't really have the, the freedom. Well, we don't have the spare time to mm-hmm. be brilliant and be creative. We're always so, on our toes. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. So uh, what I do is I tend to kind of neutralize the translation when I experience uh, the, mm-hmm. the writer's block. Or if I, you know, experience any difficulties in translating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me, I think you know, there's a saying like, if you don't use it, you forget it. Mm. So even though I grew up in the states, um, since coming here and only been speaking Korean, I feel like I've lost some English. <laughs> so it's not like I for like I've forgotten it completely. But you know, when I want to um, translate like a joke or um, like a slang. You know, the slangs I've used to speak all the time, like they don't come up in my mind, like they mm-hmm. don't pop up right away. And sometimes like when I, because like Justine said, it's very fast paced. Yeah. Um, so when I'm translating, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is not it. Like, oh, I can do better than this. Mm-hmm. But you know, like I don't have the time. Um, so also um, apart from that, There are, you know, like most of our videos are about dogs and cats. Yeah. And a lot of like, there are a lot of um, dog and cat lingos existing mm-hmm. already, or they're very um, easy to make a pun out of, I guess. Whereas like for other animals like chipmunks or like um, goats are okay, but like chipmunks <laughs> or um, <laughs> some other like, birds or whatever yeah. um they are pretty hard to make a joke out of mm. or like pun the mm. text 
So what we both try to do is sometimes I also like find Justine looking into other channels or other like animal channels. Yeah. Um, referring to like different um, t- subtitles. And like I search up like online, like different lingos or like different puns I can come up with. Mm-hmm. Those are our creative blocks, I guess. Like the time, of course, the language mm-hmm. and the lingo or puns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like you figured out, um, I guess, a kind of best way to get over those kind of creative blocks or frustrations, specifically with regards to the time issue? Like, just because you know you have such a limited window in which to work on one video, do you say, like, oh, like, this thing wasn't totally what I loved here, so the next time, like, I'll be able to do this? Or, like, how do you, I guess, keep moving forward and upward? I kind of have, like, a sticky note on my computer, um, and like, if it's something I really don't want to forget, like, mm-hmm. and something I feel like I'm going to forget, <laughs> then I kind of like write it on there. Um, and when something very similar comes up, then I go back to my sticky note and refer to it. But like, the more we see the subtitles, the better we get. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, we just kind of overcome it naturally. Um, the more we translate it or translate totally. similar things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think I do the similar thing. So I have a sticky note on my laptop and I write down some stuff that I don't want to forget, obviously. But what I do is I sometimes go back to the channel and then watch the videos that mm. I translated. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then I kind of like redo my work on my own. Mm. <laughs> so I'll just watch the video that I've translated and be like, oh, Justine, <laughs> you could have done so much better. <laughs> and then I'll just like yeah. try to... Um, I think that really helps to revise my own videos and rework on it so yeah so i kind of memorize like what i could have done and Absolutely, then yeah and then that's what i'm gonna do next yeah, yeah. so there are some videos that i'm very regretful <laughs> <laughs> and, and like yeah. sometimes i caught because we get feedbacks right like on oh, the, yeah. the comment section and oh sometimes like um there's one i did and they loved the translations um then I'm really happy. I'm like proud mm-hmm. of myself. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, go like you had a girl. Like, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So we we both always look into the comment section and try to like figure mm-hmm. out what what went wrong or what we could have improved. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Comment sections are such dangerous places to go. <laughs> yeah, and it's not good yeah. for mental health. But actually, they're generally very nice. Mm, they're good. not too mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all, well, also one of the reasons why we use puns a lot because people mm. love it yeah. people always like leave the comments on it like oh that's really funny mm-hmm. and then um few of the comments that we get is that we get we translate animals different like wrong sometimes yeah because we we're not like animal experts mm-hmm. so we don't right. really right. Uh, oh, know the goodness. exact species of the animals yeah. so in those cases i'm like i couldn't really yeah. I, I feel like I could have searched more, but so actually there is an episode of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was this um, video on a chipmunk, which I translated as a squirrel, mm-hmm. and I gave the squirrel. Well, so in um, Korean it was ramji, mm-hmm. right? Because it's taramji, and taramji here can mean both squirrels and chipmunks. Mm-hmm. Right. Little did I know it was a chipmunk not a squirrel but i went and translated as squirrel and named it ramsey like gordon ramsey yeah so 
people actually generally love the, the translations because I used a lot of puns because, you know, squirrels are used to uh, very easy to pun. Yeah. But w- some of the comments were saying, oh, that's not mm-hmm. a squirrel, that's a chipmunk. So I had to redo the translations. Mm. It also like connects to the, to the problem that we don't have much time. So mm-hmm. we don't have much time yeah. to research yeah. The whole species, and then you know, pick what and name to use right. or what kinds yeah. to use. So, yeah. But I learned my lesson, and every time, <laughs> like now, a squirrel or a chipmunk mm-hmm. um, video is always being made, sure. I'm always like, wait, <laughs> this is a chipmunk. Oh no, this is a squirrel. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah onwards and upwards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, for last question. I'm curious if there's one thing on each of your like post-it notes that you mentioned earlier that you feel like you turn to the most, or is like your favorite thing. It's it's a long gone, but I <laughs> used to. So there was one time I I translated a a otter video. So mm-hmm. it was about like an otter couple, and then I was looking for otter puns to make the, mm-hmm. the <laughs> translation more more fun. And then mm-hmm. there's a term, otterly. So I, in the no. translation, I said, "Oh, that's utterly unfair," oh. and I quite liked it. Oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote it down because mm-hmm. I liked it. And then there's another—I don't know if I, if I can say this—but there's another author video coming in, and I'm definitely gonna use it. Nice. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for me, I've kind of like grew out of um, referring to sticky notes um, because, like, now I kind of. I kind of like know everything mm-hmm. um, so for me instead of like having a favorite sticky like thing on the sticky note I think I make my own puns mm-hmm. and there's not like one I can think of right now but I'm there's one thing that I really liked uh, that we both worked on it was like cats just me, like yelling at each other and then we were like oh they're fighting in Catonian Oh yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So just like come up with some joke, yeah. um, and then like we will mix dog and citizen mm-hmm. because there, we have another series. Yeah. Uh, it's called called Ponies. So mm-hmm. it's a news about mm-hmm. yeah. It's a news for dogs. So we're mm-hmm. like, oh, the doggisins are suffering from whatever yeah. uh, syndrome or mm-hmm. so or like yeah, catisins. Yeah, so yeah. we come up with our own puns yeah. too. Yeah. I feel like cute. <laughs> now I try not to refer to the sticky note and kind of like explore like, you know, <laughs> yeah. take that challenge to mm-hmm. like make my own pun. Um, I think I think I'm so grateful for the, the writers letting us to translate that way yeah. because yeah. there's no, yeah, but they don't really intervene or mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times like I kind of, make the word longer like have more syllables like instead of like saying beauty beauty like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> kind of make it a bit luxe like luxurious mm-hmm. kind of a bit elegant but yeah. funny at the same time yeah those are i think my go-to's like beauty yeah, um catisms yeah but, and I, I just know that i won't yeah. be able to translate like this in any other channels so so I'm I'm really grateful for uh, the team giving us much discretion over the the translation work Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we have a lot of autonomy Mm. um but it comes with responsibility (laughs) you have to be really quick and if the translations are wrong then you know what's coming (laughs) yeah it's really nice to hear that you have that kind of creative freedom though because I think that's a big part of why I find 
the video is so fun and charming, like, is the way that you guys have translated them. Like, they're just fun to read and to watch. Oh, thank you. Mm, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. It was so delightful to meet both of you and chat with you. I can't wait to see oh, yeah. more of your work. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah. Was glad. yeah. Up next, Karen and I will talk about how being forced to work quickly can lead to rapid improvement and the challenges of deciding and maintaining an appropriate tone when writing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I found that absolutely fascinating. And I have to insert here that I am one of those people who really enjoys learning languages and finding opportunities to use them. I'm that person who tries to get into a deep philosophical conversation with native speakers when I'm still at the 10 words of vocabulary, no grammar stage. <laughs> Whereas my partner who studied Japanese in a very serious, very intense way for many years avoids using it because, well, she has standards, you know. <laughs> so before we get to the lessons from that interview, I'm curious where you are on that spectrum and how your attitude to using the language you learned from your family mm -hmm. compares with languages you've learned in other settings. Yeah, so I learned Korean while I was growing up from my parents. And so I would say that I am conversationally fluent, but definitely not fluent to the point that I could have done like my job as a film critic, like in Korean, mm. like I don't have the technical vocabulary that I guess is kind of one step above what I would be doing. Mm -hmm. So I like also couldn't conduct interviews in Korean, most likely. Yeah. As for I actually did learn Japanese during high school. Oh, but my level of fluency is really not up to par. Like yeah. if I had to, I could probably get around okay and like read signs all right. But I would feel very, very guilty i guess <laughs> yeah. if i tried to hold a conversation with it uh with somebody or like try to ask for directions it would be very very apologetic the entire time <laughs> yeah i'm a great believer in if you want to learn a foreign language one that isn't your native tongue just like go for it because that's mm -hmm. the only way you know if you're hung up it's very hard you know if you're uptight it's very hard yeah. to, to learn and improve i think yeah, I agree. It's better to have some confidence. And I'm sure whoever yes. you're talking to, like, will appreciate that you are making that effort. Or be very amused. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I was shocked at the turnaround speed that Hannah and Justine are asked to maintain. Mm -hmm. Just because the degree of difficulty of the translation that they're working with is really high. You know, all the most difficult challenges, uh, yeah. humor, slang, youth culture, language potentially a quite expert audience. I mean, the people <laughs> watching are probably really into animals. Mm -hmm. And 
a situation on YouTube where you yeah. know people can give feedback very quickly and not always with great restraint. <laughs> At the same time, it sounds like that's actually been a pretty useful constraint for both of them. They know they have very little time, so they do their best and they focus on constant improvement and like preparing for the next assignment and getting better next time. And that really is a great way of building skills, even though it must have been more than a little bit nerve wracking at times. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not my preferred mode <laughs> of learning. Yeah, Like I, yeah. the phrase, I guess, is like something like what, like learning under fire, where it's like yeah. you just don't have a choice and you have to just go, 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 go and keep doing this thing. But you're right in that, like when you have no choice but to do the work, then that's what you're going to do. Like, there's just no other way around it or else the work doesn't get done, especially in their situation where there are so many people in the workflow. If as yeah. soon as their workflow slows down, it affects the production of the entire channel. So that kind of outside pressure is also, I think, very, ugh, I don't want to say effective necessarily, yeah, just know, because it's not something that is ideal right. necessarily. Yeah, I think you would want this in maybe one one part of your work life only. It sounds like they both have kind of portfolio careers yeah. and you wouldn't want this in every element or in every area. But, you know, yeah, if you really want to force, be forced to, to get better and get quick, oh my God, nothing more effective, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting to me to hear that Hannah at least has a habit of going back to videos after they've gone live mm -hmm. and asking herself how she'd do it differently at some point later, you know, when mm -hmm. she's more experienced or maybe just has more time to think about it. Is that something you make a practice of doing? Frankly, no. And I partially, <laughs> I think it's just because Anna is maybe a little more mature about herself and like self-improvement than no, I am. Because no, like when no. I go back and I see those things, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> like this is terrible. What was I thinking? Rather than necessarily being able to look at it in such a clear-eyed way. Um, yeah. But it is really valuable, I think. Or, or even like, I would say that I don't necessarily go back and look at old things that I've written. But I have an awareness, I think of what my weak points are like even yeah. if I'm not specifically looking at a piece I'm like I understand like for instance very early on in my career one of the things that I found difficult was like getting over using a very academic voice especially like uh, right after I got out of college yes. I was like oh this all reads really dry and yeah. I know that that's the case and I know that that's something that I have to work on well first of all Sam but second one of the things <laughs> that I'm very uh, conscious of is there are certain um, podcast hosts who will say, mm -hmm. I cannot listen to myself. I never listen to myself. Mm. And, you know, I get it. You know, if you really have a problem with that, I'm not going to, you know, Adam Driver anybody into doing <laughs> it. But I genuinely have, well, just I'll speak for myself. I have yeah. found it so useful to listen to myself, not necessarily, you know, to sit down in some very formal way and say, I am going to learn, you know, yeah. but <laughs> you listen to yourself and you hear things that you could improve upon yeah and if you don't or even just sometimes like you know I'll listen to a show and think I don't know what I was doing with my mic that week but it was not <laughs> in the right place and so even little things like that that are not necessarily about your you know your skill set well yeah actually that is part of your skill set yeah. I do think it can be useful it's also like you are your own harshest critic to a certain degree. Yeah. And in some cases, it's nicer to be able to hear that from yourself than yes. like from your boss. So if right. you can preempt it, sometimes it's a little nicer uh, going forward. Right, exactly. 
another one of the things that stuck out to me from the interview was the importance of nailing the tone, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out the right tone and then successfully writing in that tone. You can't do one without the other mm-hmm. is a crucial element of any writing assignment. And I wonder, do you have any advice about how to do mm. that? How do you figure out your audience and decide what kind of voice you're going to use to address them? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. And I think there is a sort of one size fits all answer that will vary in terms of method, depending on what you're doing, if that makes sense. Like, Mm. I think the key is always first to figure out what you're writing. Like, am I writing for an academic journal? Am I writing for a blog post? Am I writing like a review? Am I writing an interview? Because all of those things are slightly different formats. And you probably already have some idea of how they all differ or how you think they should read. Yeah. Specifically in terms of figuring out voice, like, oh, like, is this something where I can be a little irreverent or informal? Or is this something that has to be really straight down the middle? It's easiest to figure out whether you are doing that successfully or not. I think by doing something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is just write the thing first and then go back and look at it. Because you in reading over it, I think, will have the best sense of whether or not it feels, number one, consistent from top to bottom, and then number two, in the right voice. Because I think yeah. sometimes what can happen to me is like some things will feel a little like a little more faster or quippy and then some things will feel kind of slower or more dense. And yeah. when you're looking at them, you're like, oh, I understand which part has to change. And then you can go back in and sort of fiddle with it. Yeah, what about I, you? What do you do for this? No, I would say same. You know, you it is a matter of like consistency. You, mm-hmm. you always have to know what you're shooting for. I mean, you always mm-hmm. have to know the assignment in any, yeah. you know, whether you're in school or whether you're doing it professionally or whether you're doing something that you, you know, you're putting out there just for your own uh, self-expression. Mm-hmm. That's the, the ultimate question. That's the thing that you have to know or you will never succeed. Mm-hmm. But I also think when you read through it and if, if something just feels off, well, that just means that's not in the right voice. So, yeah, yeah I, I yeah. agree that making it all sound of a piece is really important. It's funny to say that it basically is intuitive at the end of the day, uh, but it really yeah. is. Yeah, I think so. It was almost a throwaway line in the interview, but my mm-hmm. ears really perked up when Hannah talked about how sensitive she had to be when she was translating K-pop videos, mm-hmm. partly because the audience is so ready to turn molehills into mountains. But really, that is always a key part of any translation, whether you're yeah. providing you know, simultaneous interpretation in a courtroom or making a K-pop idol's words available to non-Korean audiences. You know, the prime directive is always to accurately represent the intent and the tone of the original speaker. Last year, you published a book about Bong Joon-ho, a Korean director who makes films in the Korean language that are hugely popular worldwide, you know, win Oscars, that kind of thing. Whatever you're doing, something is always lost in translation. Mm -hmm. What do you think that non-Korean speakers miss in Bong Joon-ho's work? I think there are a few kind of big examples, and most of them will be like kind of cultural objects or something like that. For instance, in Parasite, like when they're forging that university letter, like in in the movie, I think they're either talking about Seoul University or Yonsei University, but because the significance of those universities in Korea mm. might not necessarily translate for a non Korean audience, they I think yeah. they said like Oxford or something like that. Like mm-hmm. they name another very kind of famous English yeah. language university. Um, the funniest example of this happens in Okja, which is a 
co-production. So it's in English and in Korean. Mm -hmm. And there is a scene in which Steven Yeun's character says a line in Korean that is deliberately mistranslated in English. Ah. And it's not like a key plot point or anything. And it's not really brought up in the movie. Like, just because, like, he says in Korean, my name is uh, Kusunbum, I think. And then the the subtitle is like, learning new languages will really open new doors for you. And... (laughs) Right. And I asked why they did that, not for the book, but like around when that movie's press cycle was going on. And the answer was basically like, this is a joke for Koreans because this is a really uh-huh. like old fashioned uh, clunky name for Koreans. But obviously, uh-huh. there's no sense of that for someone who doesn't yeah. know that that name is old fashioned. Like, I don't know that either because I'm yeah. not someone who's super familiar with Korean names. And so they were like, it's funnier if he says this and then jumps out the door, like in an English <laughs> subtitle. So it's right. funnier in that way yeah. to just do this differently. Uh-huh. And in that case, it also really nods at mistranslation, which is a huge theme in the movie. So it's yeah. kind of metatextual in that way. Wow. <laughs> I got to go watch again then. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have this week, unless, of course, you're a Slate Plus subscriber, in which case you will soon hear a little something extra from this week's interview. That, of course, is not the only benefit of Slate Plus membership. You'll also get extra segments on shows like Culture Gabfest and The Waves, entire bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Big Mood, Little Mood, and you'll never hit a paywall on the Slate site. Thank you so much to our guests, Hannah Im and Justine Wan. And thank you to our wonderful producer, Cameron Trues, who turns our kukukuk into ha 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 every week. We'll be back next week with Isaac Butler's interview with members of the New Zealand indie rock band, The Beths. Until then, get back to work. <laughs>